Aren't you glad God is faithful? Mm. Great job, Eric, the team. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 11. We're in a series called um, Clues. And we're looking for clues about how to live our life because we've been following signposts that's been leading us astray in so many different ways. We talked a little bit about justice yesterday and how, I mean, last week, and how justice seems to be a cold and sterile and indifferent type of thing. It's a very important thing that we all seek. We all need things to be put right into our lives and justice does that it puts things right and jesus came and he put things right he allowed justice to prevail in the course of sin and in the course of how we live our lives justice prevails because of the love of christ the thing about it is a lot of us we don't like justice because justice sometimes is painful isn't it Justice sometimes requires sacrifice. Justice sometimes requires us to do things that we may or may not uh, really want to do at the time, but we want the fruit of it or we desire the result from it. But Jesus came and did what we couldn't do. He brought justice by the sacrifice of what he did on the cross. And we're so appreciative to that. Justice is not what the world seems. Matter of fact, we talked about justice and what the world brings will never bring forth the fruit that justice from God brings. Matter of fact, justice from the world never brings justice. Only God brings justice. Today we're going to be talking about love. And, you know, I have to admit, this whole week when I was going over this, this Tina Turner song kept coming up over and over in my mind. Do y'all know what that song was? Got to do with it. That's right. What's love got to do with it? It's just a secondhand emotion. You know, love is, is a funny thing in the fact that it's funny in our vocabulary and it's funny in how we process it and how we talk about it. Love is a signpost in the direction that has been turned. And just like the illustration of the roadrunner, we've been headed toward, because of love, in a wrong direction. We've been heading in a direction of destruction, a direction of decay, a, a direction of ill satisfaction, of promises that are unfulfilled because we're heading in the wrong way with love. I think one must first define love if you want to talk about love in the right way. In the English language, we, talk, we have this word love, and we use love for so many different things. You know, I love my wife. I love my dog. Now, I'm not calling them equal, you know. It's different kinds of love, right? I love my children, and I love my truck. But they're two different kinds of love, right? But we use this love, and then we, we, this one word love in the English language, and we use it just about for everything. And, and there seems to be a, a, a feeling now that we use love too loosely, and we use love too much 
nowadays. And we don't really fully understand it. I disagree with that because I think that we don't experience enough love and we don't talk about love enough. But the problem is we don't understand the nuances of love and we don't apply love in the proper perspective or the proper ways. Love is about relationship. It's what love is about. It's about relationship. It's I become more fully myself when I'm in a relationship For any length of time with a person, with a place, or with a thing, you say, oh my gosh, that's that's just terrible. You know, relationships only happen with people. No, they don't. Relationships happens with things and places too. Did I mention I love my truck? Okay. I'm beginning to love my tractor, you know. I I, I love places. You know, I grew up on a farm, and, and, and I love that farm and and I, I love my home and and, and I, I love people as well but a relationship is is when I'm fully more myself when I'm involved with something for example uh, I, I know that the farm is seasonal in occasions and there's times of the season of the year I love the farm more than others like for the harvest time I just love seeing the harvest roll in and stuff like that. But I was raised on a dairy farm and every morning after milking, you'd have to scrape manure. I didn't love the farm when I was scraping manure, you know, hello? But when it fulfills me, there's this thing, this time, this place, or this person, I feel more myself. I feel more oneness and I experience this relationship and I experience love. I think a lot of us want to repel that and say, okay, we can't love things or places because love is only designed for people. And I think that's an imbalance of perspective and that we don't really fully understand how to apply love in those aspects if we limit love and we say we can't do that. Because just because you love something or someone else doesn't mean your love for someone or something else is not less. It just means it's, different. Everybody say different. And we are confused with difference. And sometimes the difference is not applied to the appropriate position or place. And thus we become skewed in our facet of love or we go down the wrong road because we're not reading the cues well and we don't understand how to work it out. Love is in the Bible listed in four different types, even though some people, most people agree that love has seven in the Greek words uses for the word love, but I've even found eight. And I want to explain a little bit of what those nuances are uh, in the Greek. In the, in the Bible, there's four Greek words that we equate with the different types of love. There's eros, And that is a sexual love or attraction that you would have for your wife or your mate or your husband. And and this is a very healthy type of love. Uh, But it's not a love that usually is sustained over long periods of time. Understand eros is a, a momentary or a time or spatial type of love. And, and, and to marry someone and think that you're going to be in eros the whole time would be a fallacy. And a lot of marriages get hung up on this because they seem to forget that eros is not always present, but it doesn't mean it's not there. 
It's not always active, but it doesn't mean it's not there. Are y'all listening to me? So we need to understand the eros or the sexual attraction of love and how it's applied, mostly in relationships is where it should be tried and, and should be applied, so to speak. The, the eros that happens in pre-marriage or post-marriage, now let me just address that for just a minute, okay, since we're here. I'll just shuck this corn down right quick, okay. The fact of the matter is, we do experience physical attractions or eros, sexual attractions to other people. And to say that you don't would be uh, you're, you're very dangerously in trouble, okay? You do. But what you do is you understand that that is a, an, an attraction or that is a mode of love that cannot be expressed. It must be something that you file and you place in a proper perspective and, and, and you don't act on it. But you do, in certain cases, in dating, for example, that physical attraction or the eros love, you explore that not in a physical manner, but in a potential manner by dating and understand your other aspects of love to see how that fits together. So it's something that you don't have to avoid. It's something that you have to control and make sure that it takes you down the right road and not leads you down to a destructive place. The next one is called, oh, by the way, did everybody understand that? Now, let me also, let me talk about this Eros love with married people. Uh, the married people also see attractions and it's better described in another love we'll talk a little bit uh, more about uh, a little later on. And to say this, that once you get married that you're never attracted to anyone is foolish, okay? It really is. But you're not attracted in the same way. And so what you have to do is be wise in how you apply the attractiveness and teach you which way to go. Because there's some people that you may be attracted to, anytime you see them, you need to go the opposite way. Hello? Okay. So it's, it's a good, good thing. Now let's talk about philia. These are the four types that's in the Bible. Philia is a friendship love. This is a friend. This is this is a, a little closer than agape. This is a, a the more of a friendship intimacy that you get to spend time together, and the, you're more connected on a friendship type way. That you know you go fishing together, you hang out together, you you cut up with each other, you tell jokes about each other. You know these these kind of things. The philia love, the friendship love, is a deep love. It's a close love, but it's platonic and it's very. It's, it's friendship oriented. A storge love. Storge love is a, a natural love, it's called. It's a love between a parent and a child. It, it's, it's a love that you would see uh, uh, with, with people that has a natural uh, relationship together. And then the fourth in the biblical terms of love is agape, which is what we call the God love, God-like love, which is unconditional love. The unconditional love <clears throat> means that God loves us no matter what we have done and no matter what we do, God loves us. But let's not be confused with it. Just because love, God loves us doesn't mean there's not consequences for our action. Are you listening to me? So a lot of people get confused by the saying, oh, well, God loves me. He loves me even while I'm yet still a sinner. Yes, he does. But he still allows us to pay the consequences of sin and rejection and denial of where we are. 
So don't get confused that love is, covers everything and it forgives everything. The consequences of sin are still real and are still present. But agape love is unconditional God. God loves us while we're still, still sinners. God loves us when we're apart from him. God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe him should not perish but have everlasting life. He did this while we were yet still sinners. God still loves us. Now, I want to cover four loves that are not necessarily, they're listed in the Bible, but they're not talked about as much in the Bible, but they're Greek words as well. And this is the, the ludus love. The ludus love is a playful love. It's, it's a love that you would have, you're just cutting up with people, uh, kids would have this kind of love with their playmates when you, you, know, you have sleepovers and stuff like that. It's called a ludus love. Uh, and, and it's very lighthearted and, and stuff like that. Now, where the danger with the ludus love is this, that if you get too playful or cutesy or flirty with other people, it leads you down the road when you become of an age that you need to be cautious or be careful of. Or, or you listen to me. So you need to be mindful of that. And then the pragma, pragma love is a, a long-lasting love. This is a committed love. This is a love that somebody will love you to the day they die, no matter what they have done, no matter what they will do, no matter what is going to happen, no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens anywhere, they are going to love you and you're going to love them. That's a pragma love. It's a long-lasting, committed love. It's a committed love. It's not necessarily a natural love. It is a committed love. And then the, uh, the fallacia love is a, a self-love. It's, it's like a narcissistic love, but a little better than narcissistic love. But it is the confidence love to know that I'm okay. I feel good about myself. I wake up in the mirror, I comb my hair and go, hey. <laughs> yeah, type, type of love. Not in a bad way, but, but in a way that, you know, is, is confident. We need that self-confidence to be able to do. And the, the last one is, is kind of a, a bad love is a mania love. A mania love is a possessive love or obsessive love. And you see this kind of love in movies like Fatal Attraction, things of this nature where people get so attached and so tied at the umbilical cord that they can't leave anybody else because they want them there all the time. This could be damaging in marriages because people have to go to work and people need other jobs. I mean, they need other outlets. They need filio friends. They need agape love. They need all these other kind of things. And if you have a mate that's so possessive and mania uh, and obsessive, obsessive with it, it becomes a, a real deterrent and a problem. The clue is, uh, we need, or, or, the, or the truth is, we're not very good at picking up cues about how to apply to operate in and out of these loves because these loves are not just applied to each. We all come in and out of them every day of our lives. So the key is recognizing the cues of understanding how to apply the different types of love and the different types of situation. Jesus had some episodes that he gives us some examples of some cues 
about how to apply some different loves as well. Now understand, emotion is a big indicator and will be a big help to you in understanding how to decipher which love to flow in of, into and out of at specific times. Emotions that are not detected in a right way though, again, is broken and it leads us to the wrong path. Emotions now seems to be on an upswing to where we're so sensitive to emotions, we're not listening what they're truthfully telling us, we're listening to what people say they're telling us. And we're not listening to what God says they're telling us. Thus we're going down the wrong road. Let's read this text. John 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was come into this world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. Teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And Mary heard this. She got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Strong emotion here, okay? Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved. Say, deeply moved. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. What emotion. What power in those words, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, he could not, could he not, who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying. Jesus, once more deeply moved, say deeply moved, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said, But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. We ask this morning that you will open our hearts and minds to receive your truth. We pray this now 
in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. As we read this story, we know and we see that typically, and we understand this, this is the story of Lazarus being died, having died and Jesus coming back and raising him from the dead. And the Jews and Mary, and of course Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were real close. They were not only agape love with Jesus, but they were filio love with Jesus as well. They were friends. They were great friends. Many times Jesus in his ministry stayed at Martha and Mary's house, and they would absolutely just love fellowshipping and just being there together. So we see the crowd as Mary goes to Jesus, and Jesus is tarried now. He's not gone when he's gotten word that Lazarus was sick. He, he tarried and did some other business, and he got there, and Lazarus is already dead. Mary comes, he, Martha meets him out at, in a faraway place outside of the city, and he sends word, Jesus sends word, he wants to talk to Mary as well. And Mary receives word, takes the Jews that are mourning with them, and they go out to see Jesus. And they're weeping, they're crying. And Jesus, seeing this, he weeps as well. And most people think, and you even heard the text as it was read in one verse that says, see how he loved him? Because it said Jesus wept too. But see, I don't believe that Jesus was weeping because of the death of Lazarus. I think he was weeping because of the pain of Mary and Martha and those who loved him. He was weeping because of their pain. And he, that's what love does. It empathizes. And he was empathizing in their pain so much. He knew Lazarus was in a better place. He knew that Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead and give glory to God and pronounce victory and also pronounce his, uh, his uh, being sent of God. He knew all these things. He wasn't upset about Lazarus being dead. But what he was upset about is the pain that his loved ones was going through. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you were upset because of somebody else being upset and you experienced that em empathy, that kind of love, that you yourself was even brought to tears because of someone else's pain? You see, we live in a society today that it's all about us. Even when somebody else does something for somebody else and they think they're doing it for them, they're really actually subconsciously doing it for themselves. I see this so much in the news and, and all the political things that we have and the rallies and all the things that they say that they're trying to help this man, they're trying to proclaim this man, they're trying to do this for this people, they're trying to do that for that people, but in fact, they're trying to push their own agenda. They have no love or empathy for what's going on with that. They're using that as a place to bring a false justice and a false narrative to advance their agenda. It, love has nothing to do with it. Again, Tina Turner is appropriate there. What's love got to do with it? Nothing. It's just a secondhand emotion that's used to manipulate people and us. And we need to get a clue that this is not right. 
This is not of God. This is not the love that Jesus had as he empathized with Mary and Martha. This is not the love that Jesus had when he died on the cross to deliver a world. This is not the love that he had when he showed compassion on people that were dead in their transgression and and he took the stripes and bore the pain. This is not the love that Jesus had. This is the love the world produces and it's a false love. It's a love made of hands And man, not of God, not of God. We must be careful that we don't fall into the trap of being lured and seduced into a place that we call love and care for others when it has nothing to do with love and care for others. We need discernment and we need to understand the example and they understand the clues that God has given us by understanding his word, understanding his life, and understanding his will. The first thing, there's four things that I want to pull out on this text as we read this morning that will help us understand the clues is this. To understand love, especially a God-type love, it takes great faith and belief. Without faith, Scripture says, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. Faith and belief supersedes and surpasses emotion. Emotion will deceive you and motion, emotion will blind you and emotion will rob you of the truth, of joy, of peace, and especially of love. You get caught up in emotion and you get caught up in a wrong kind of love, it can lead you not only into a, a bewilderment of just not knowing and not understanding and confusion, it will lead you even to the point of destruction. And it'll tear your heart and your life apart. We first need to believe God and trust in Him. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that says that you need to love the Lord your God and obey His commands. We need to obey His commands because it says your children has not seen this. Matter of fact, I want to read this. It says, love the Lord your God and keep His commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God and His majesty, His mighty hand, His outstretched arms, the signs He performed, and the things He did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh king, Pharaoh king of Egypt and to the whole country. What he did to the Egyptian army, to the horses and the chariots, and how he overwhelmed the waters of the Red Sea that were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought out lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw this. This was you. Do not desert the commands of the law, because in the middle of all Israel it will be swallowed up and forgotten, and the households and the tents of God will not... Be, will not understand the true and living God for what he did. That's why it's so important for you to keep the commands and observe the commands of God. The problem is nowadays is we're forgetting the commands of God because we weren't there when the Red Sea enveloped Pharaoh's army. We did not see God deliver Moses And we did not see the water come from the rock. And we did not see the manna that came from heaven. And thus, we tend to forget. 
Now here's the problem. The problem is we don't understand the love of God in the fact that what we do have, God is still issuing and we should rejoice about. This past week, I still had running water when the water around the world was froze. I still had heat when the outside temperature was 18 degrees. I still had food when there was no flower or bloom in the field. God provided that for me, and I will always give him praise and never turn my back and always acknowledge that it was him who provides all my substance. Him. Come on now. Come on now. You see, we might not have been there when Pharaoh was drowned in the Red Sea, but by George, I was there when the heat was turned on and the coal was drowned with warmth. And I thank my God for it because it was his provision, his intellect, his gifting, his graces that provided us equipment and lines and, and furnaces and all those things that we got to do to be able to help us be where we needed to be. And I give him glory for it. And you say, well, preacher, you're just crazy. Yeah, maybe, I'm crazy about God. I am. I don't want to forget the provision of God. All that was, was the him saying in Deuteronomy, make sure you teach your children to honor God in all things because if it weren't for God, you wouldn't exist. And it's the truth, it's the truth. It takes faith. And how do we take and how do we develop faith? Number one, we acknowledge God, first of all. We have to acknowledge God in all our ways. There's some people that don't want to acknowledge God. They want to say it's our intellect, it's our engineering, it's our uh, willingness to get out in trucks and stuff and doing these things, and we affirm the people that do, and we did that the first thing this morning. That's the first thing that we did. But listen, God is the one that gave him the strength to wake up in the morning to be able to get on the truck. God is the one that gave the engineer the ability and the gifts to be able to design a truck and a lift to be able to go up there and fix the lines. God gave an engineer the mind to be able to go out TVA where Philip used to work and make sure that they had power available with the lines to run out there to keep us warm. I'm going to tell you, God is an amazing God. God is a, a, a resilient God. God is an understanding God. God is a compassionate God. God is a God of empathy. God cares. God is the God who ministered to Mary and Martha and wept, not because Lazarus lay dead. He wept because they were in pain and they were in need. And my Jesus knows my pain and he weeps with me on the days that I weep. He's there for me on the days that I need strength. He's my ever-present help in the time of need. That's my God. Where's yours? Where's yours? Love requires faith. It requires belief. Love always moves us. It said in the text, it says, Jesus was deeply moved. Do you remember saying that? Jesus was deeply moved. What moves us? What moves you? I tell you what moves me is when I experience something extraordinary. It moves me. It moves me. I don't know. Maybe I'm kind of like my daddy, you know. Uh, 
I can sing or preach or do something. If my daddy was here, he'd be crying the whole service. Anytime my kids do anything, I can't go to a function. If they get up and say anything or do anything, why? I can't talk. I'm overwhelmed. I cry, I weep. That's how it comes out. But what it really means is I'm deeply moved. Are you listening to me? I'm deeply moved. I saw a young lady came up, it's been several weeks ago, and they were ta- she was talking to me about how God had done something in, in their life and how they were in a place of brokenness and stuff and how they were just struggling with different things. But God was faithful and was going to deliver and, and she wasn't where she needed to be, but she was believing God for it. And there was something inside of me that was deeply moved by that. Deeply moved. Well, I saw somebody rejoicing the other day. They got saved and they were just praising the God, praising God. I saw a baptism on the internet the other day when I was viewing stuff, and they got up and they were shouting. and And I've been watching this uh, documentary about the black church in America. I don't know if y'all have seen it, the PBS thing. And I've seen them go down to the river, and I saw them being baptized and coming up and shouting and praising something. And something inside of me was deeply moved. Deeply moved. What is this that's deeply moving inside my innards? What is going on inside of me that creates this deeply moved position in me? I'll tell you what I think it is. I'll tell you what I know it to be. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God. It is that linking together. It is that something inside that I can't explain. It's called the unction and the groaning and the moanings and spiritual things that I cannot express. It's something that deeply moves me. And when it moves me I'm in touch with a creator and with a God that loves me and I experience love in a different aspect in a different way love always deeply moves and it deeply moves when God's involved love never says what if only when Not what if, just when. Most of all my kids now are married except one, and he's on the brink. It amazed me they would come in, Austin, I never will forget it. He came in one day and he was down. I said, son, what's wrong? He said, I just don't know if there's anybody out there for me. He said, I just don't know. And I just, I'm depressed. I don't know. I said, son, God has made a special person just for you. And love is waiting for you. It's not what if or maybe, it's when. God's timing has to be persevered and sought out and, and, and worked through. But when you are patient before God and allow Him to do His uncovering and His will, it's amazing what you will find. And you will find love. True love. 
Blessed love, hopeful love, encouraging love, edifying love. These are the kind of things that you'll find. Yeah, I hear you. You ever felt that way? I have. That's when I needed daddies. That's when I needed filio friends. That's when I needed those around me that would encourage me. That's when I needed agape from people to come around me. See, sometimes we have to stand in the gap for people when they're faithless because he's faithful. And sometimes my faith has to stand in the gap for your faith. And sometimes my love has to stand in the gap for your lovelessness. We stand in the gap for each other because there's momentary times that we go through that we're really struggling and we need help. Are you listening to me? Huh. It wasn't a year later. He met this little old gal came named Laura. Changed his world. Changed ours too. She's such a blessing. She is such a blessing. She is a gift from God. And when you wait on God and you experience that and you see that love flourish and stuff, you can, you can grow in that love. Love is never what if. Love is just only when. Because love is always made away. Love is always there. Love has never forsaken us. The fourth thing, the final thing is this. Oh my gosh, I'm out of time. Love gives life. If you're down and out and you have no life, you feel like you have no purpose, you feel like you have no way, go love somebody. But love them in the right way. Don't you go find a woman and eros on her. You man. You go filio on somebody. You go agape on somebody, okay? And if, and if you want to eros, make sure you go to your wife or your spouse. Love produces life. A life without love is a life that is void and a life that has no hope. Jesus is the hope of the world, and we know that Jesus is love. If we want to fix this road sign of love, we need to turn it back, and we need to figure out, and we need to see the clues. We need to understand love is never forsaken. It's never lost. It's never gone. It's there. It's only for us to identify, discern, and place in the proper perspective, God's perspective. Forsake not the commands of God. Follow it. Apply it. Pick up on the cues. Follow and place love in its proper order and let life flourish in your love. And when life flourishes in your love, love will flourish in your life. Isn't that wonderful? It's a true perspective. It's a true thing. I hope this morning we can grasp that. Start reading our cues better. Start applying the proper aspects of love. Dispelling the bad, trying not to be 
sucked in on the misused and try to genuinely feel, express, believe, be patient, have faith, be kind. I believe all those things are current in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. These are all the attributes of love. Go read it. Apply it. And be it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everyone said... Thanks for watching. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you will find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please, download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here today. We hope you feel at home, and we hope you enjoy your friendship experience.